May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. A little more than a decade ago now, um, in my second parish, we decided to do something there, uh, sort of similar to what we do here with the Memorial Day Festival, only we had it in, in the autumn, real close to Halloween. And so we would have all the normal festival trappings that you might expect, you know, the, the bounce house and the cotton candy and all that sort of stuff. But we sort of added to it a little bit of the, um, you know, the seasonal stuff too, a little bit of the Halloween flavor. Like one of the things that we would do is um, a, a lot of people would bring their, their cars in the parking lot and they would all park them in a certain area um, with the, you know, the trunks facing out towards the center of the parking lot. And the children would all gather and then we would have this time where they would do this thing called trunk or treating and they would go from car to car and like instead of like going to house to house. And, and it was in the city in Canton and it was um, a lot of the parents in the neighborhood loved it because it was safe. It was um, in an enclosed environment. They liked it because they didn't have to go very far, you know, just around the parking lot. Um, and, and some of our parents would really get into it. They would decorate their trunks up, you know, with spider webs and black cats and all that sort of stuff and uh, play music and do all kinds of great things. And it was it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and the adults who came to work at the festival, since it was Halloween time and all of this, would come in costume. The first year, I made the, I, and I, I mean, I'm being modest here, I made the very best costume I've ever seen in my life. It was a Frankenstein costume. And here was the thing, you know, I thought, I have to make this this costume that nobody's going to recognize me, okay? And, and so I, I make this. I found this Frankenstein mask, and and I found this um, this uh, black material that was it was opaque from the outside, but from the inside you could see through it. And and so I, I got this material, and I I made these arms, and then I thought, well. You know, how am I going to transform my 5'4 frame into a 7-foot monster, you know? And I had a great idea. I took this furring strip, this piece of wood, and I, I made a cross with it, you know. And, and on the, the cross made, like, the shoulders, the, the, one, the, you know, the horizontal plank. And the other one made the height, you know, sort of like the spine of the monster. And so I attached the mask way up on the top of that, and I made these arms. And I even, I even got these little, the little wires I put inside so I could move the arms, and they would go like this, you know. And, and I threw that black cloak all the way over the top of it, and suddenly here I was, seven foot two, you know, and, and I was walking around and people would say, who is that, you know? They didn't know it was me. I know, I was surprised too. I thought for sure they would see right through it. It'd be me. And so we would have all this fun. Um, my, my friend Lenny, um, he, uh, he came the first year dressed as a prostitute. I, I, I don't think... Um, I don't think he got the whole kid-friendly idea, you know, of the stilettos and the fishnet. So I'm like, no. So after that year, we sort of changed the rules, you know. It was um, cartoon characters or superheroes or things like that. And one year, we even dressed up like Batman and Robin, Lenny and I. He was Batman, I was Robin. And, um, and we, uh, we squeezed ourselves into this little go-kart. And we even drove around the neighborhood and handed out candy to little kids, you know, and they loved it. Here comes Batman and Robin. All good fun. It's fun to kind of dress up at Halloween time. Not just for children, adults like it too. It's a, it's a good time to be in costume. But if you're not at a party or something like that, dressing up in costume sometimes can be a little scary. I mean, imagine you're in the bank. You know, you're right down here at the PNC or wherever you go. And, and you're in the bank, you're standing in line, and four guys come in wearing Richard Nixon masks. 
you're not going to think that you're at the beginning of the next Republican National Convention, are you? I mean, this is going to be a scary moment. This is going to be a time where somebody's trying to cover up their identity because they're up to no good. The Internet is full of people who try to cover their identity and are up to no good. I mean, you could have screen names that have nothing to do with who you really are, you know, Bronco Billy or, or Stargazer123 or all kinds of these weird names. Um, I did a little, uh, just for research for this, um, for this sermon here, I, I went to YouTube and I looked up um, adorable puppies, okay? Adorable puppies. You, there's, if you don't like adorable puppies, there's something wrong with you. I found this, this video, these um, six-week-old yellow Labrador puppies. I mean, they were absolutely adorable. They're just beautiful little dogs, and they're running around playing and doing all kinds of cute stuff. 1.89 million views. Almost 2 million people saw these puppies. There were 291 people who disliked it. Now, I know 291 out of 2 million, that's a pretty small sample. But 291 people who did nothing but anonymously dislike puppies. How could you do that? How can you not like puppies? Why would you go look at a video about puppies simply to say that you don't like them? And then somebody called themselves Bollock Naked. That's their name. I don't know what that means. They, they, they wrote on there, your carpet needs restretching. Really? You're there looking at puppies, not somebody's carpet. Well, you know, and, and so it's a place where anonymity and disguise can cloak darkness and nastiness, deceit. Sometimes costumes are fun. Sometimes they cover things that we don't want to know. If you ever read the Old Testament at all, the very first place that you would go to, probably in the Old Testament, is the very first page the very first chapter, and the very first sentence. Most people know this who, who don't even uh, you know, have even a, a loose familiarity with the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, I, can even, I even know it in Hebrew. It's, you know, it's the most famous verse in, in, in all of the Bible. Um, and we read through it, this repetition. I know it was a long lesson. Oh, Sue did yeoman's work, having this massively long um, uh, Old Testament lesson. And, and everybody was sitting there thinking, Joe, you really couldn't have abridged this lesson? Um, there's no way you could have, you know, verse 7 could have gone? Well, no, it couldn't have. I, I, I wanted the whole thing out there. Um, notice the other lessons were smaller, so there was, there was a little bit of, uh, of saving the grace there. But the whole lesson had to be out there so that you could hear the repetitions. And God saw and God said. And God said and God saw. And, God, and this over and over again. You know, the unfortunate thing about Genesis 1, though, is how most people view it. Go out on the street today and say, what do you think about Genesis 1 and what do you suppose you would hear? Oh, it's an antiquated, pre-scientific way of looking at the, at the, the creation of the universe. You know, this is, uh, it's sad because it's before people understood about the Big Bang and evolution and those sorts of things. The reason that that's unfortunate is that that's what you hear is because that's not what Genesis 1 is about at all. It's not even closely about those sorts of things. Genesis 1 is not interested in the sort of issues that we kind of bring to it and oftentimes try to demand of it. Genesis 1 is a hymn. It's a poem. It's a song. It's a song of praise to God. Nobody looks at Robert Frost and says, he thought there were only two roads in the woods. Can you believe that? Nobody would say that, would they? 
Nobody would say, oh, the Beatles, hello, goodbye. They're confused. They know nothing about greetings. Uh, or, you know, that, that all women must be mean because, you know, they're always saying goodbye when you're saying hello. Nobody thought that. Nobody would think that. It's absurd. Um, I like to go running outside, you know, and I'll stick in my, uh, my earbuds and, and, and play my, my little uh, music player. And I feel like it's random. You know, there's several hundred songs in there, you know. And, um, and I feel like God likes to toy with me, you know, because when it's raining and really cold, uh, U2's, a beautiful day, will come on inside. And, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, yes, of course it is. We understand poetry. We understand how to live with that and, and, and understand where it's coming from. And yet when we go to Genesis 1, we don't want to treat it like that at all. And you say to me, okay, well, Mr. Smarty Pants, then tell me, what is Genesis 1 really about? I don't know why you would call me Mr. Smarty Pants, because I don't feel like that's appropriate. But I will tell you what it's about. Genesis 1 is about God. God is the subject. It doesn't even take somebody who's loosely familiar with grammar to find God as the subject in the very in the beginning, God. God is the subject of the chapter. God is the subject of of the entire, um, the entire hymn itself. Yes, it tells us about other things, beginnings and hierarchy of species and all that sort of stuff. But it tells us about God. And here's what it says at first, that God is independent of time and space. God is independent of time and space. God existed before anything else existed, and everything depends upon God. He is the creator in him all things are held together. In him everything that is made was made. This is what we say in our creed, isn't it? That God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. It also tells us how God views the creation. You heard it, didn't you? And God saw, and it was good. And God saw, and it was good. And God saw, and it was good. It was good. It was good. Six times the exact same repetition And then a seventh time, and God saw, and it was very good. In Hebrew, myoto. It was very good. Now, this is not just that it was, um, you know, good like in the way a Mustang is a good car, or in the way Jenny is a good little child who behaves well. This is good as in morally perfect and beautiful. God looked at all the things that, that are part of creation and finds them to be beautiful. And God saw it, and God said, this is beautiful. This is good. Well, why is that important? It's important because you have to understand the world in which this song, this hymn, was first played. In a world where everyone thought that there was not one God, but there were many gods. And where they thought that everything that came into being came into being out of a war in the heavens. Where gods were killing gods destroying one another, and ultimately created humans to be their servants, to make them happy, to do their bidding, and to, 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 to entertain them along the way. That humans were boring and, and sometimes noisy, and, and uh, you know they, they needed to be done away with. This is the way all the people in the world thought about creation, except the writer of Genesis, who turns the whole thing on its head and says, no, this God who made the universe is one God, and he made it Good. Perfect. A third thing it tells us is that humans were made in God's image. 
The humans bear God's likeness. The only, the only part of creation that bears the image of God are humans. What's more, there's a neat little play going on in here where you have something like light being created on the first day. And not until the fourth day do you have a place where the light can go. An inhabitant. So as if we have, we have the, uh, the, in, the inhabitant and then later the environment. Inhabitant, environment. You know, there are, there's a, um, a, a, you know, the, the earth and then you have creatures to go on the earth. It, all of this playing out. And what you have is humans coming last. As if to say, the whole place was made as the environment for the humans to live in. They're the pinnacle of creation. The part that bears God's image. The whole thing was made for them. I remember when I was uh, teaching, uh, when I would teach the, this uh, course, uh, Pentateuch, in, uh, in university, and I would tell students, I'm, I want you to imagine someday you get married and, and you know, you, you, you're going to get pregnant and you have, you know, this baby is about to be delivered. What would you do? I mean, what would you do at home? And, and you know, the girls right away were on this. Oh, you would, you would paint the nursery. And, and, you know, the guys would say, well, you know, we'd have to do whatever, put together cribs and we would be out buying stuff. I'm like, exactly, that's exactly what you would do. And you're, you would start ch- adding things to the, the home that would make it safe. You know, you'd put little things on the, on the outlets and all this. Why? So that when this new inhabitant comes, the environment is going to be perfectly set for him or her. That is the image Genesis has of creation. That this whole creation was made for humans to live in. And so sometimes we go to the Old Testament, we read Genesis, and we're a bit embarrassed by it. Oh, they're so pre-scientific, you know? They're so unlearned. And the Genesis author says, no, I'm not interested in the same things that you're interested in. There's no concern for the age of the earth in Genesis 1. Zero, none. And if anybody makes it about that, they are twisting what the author is trying to do. The whole use of the word days, for instance. Three different ways that it's used in the first uh, chapter. It's used to represent um, a, a, an era of creation, the first day, the second day. It's used to represent the, um, the daylight. It's used to be, represent um, a day and an evening, a morning and e- a, a daylight and a darkness. So there is a very elastic word that's being used. There's no concern with chronology. There's no concern with evolutionary processes. It just is simply not a matter of discussion. It's concerned about how God created the earth and that God created the earth for the humans to inhabit. In the, in the ancient world, there were a lot of weird ideas about the gods. There were a lot of weird ideas about humans and the way that they should relate to the gods. There was no awareness that humans were broken. And that the things that separated us from one another and from God were part of the way that, that demonstrated our brokenness. Our relationship to one another and to the earth was completely destroyed, and there was no recognition of this. And so Genesis begins by saying, let me back up and show you the way things were supposed to be. The way that they were supposed to be in goodness. And I know this might come as a shock to you, but we live in a world where people have a lot of weird ideas too. A lot of weird ideas about God the gods, plural, about humans and the way that we um, relate to one another. We live in a world where people actually think that violence and selfishness and exploitation are virtues, where those are good things. 
Where, where violence is, well, we have to have it, so let's embrace it. Where greed is good, so let's cultivate it. Where exploitation is a necessary ethos for those who want to be happy. And Genesis says, no, not at all. That is not the way that God created humanity. That's not the way God created the earth. That we are to live in a gentle relationship with the earth and with one another. That we're to treat one another with dignity and be willing to be self-sacrificial. That God is the creator God who didn't want these things to be like they are at all. And it's only by going back to Genesis that we see the way that things are supposed to be. And it's only by going back to Genesis that we see God the way that God really is. And on this day, Trinity Sunday, I know it's Father's Day, and that's a great day to recognize God our Father, who says there is a better way to be human, the way that you were created to be. And it's only by going back to Genesis that we see what that looks like. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.